Stone, here he comes, working left side, he shoots, he scores! Mark Stone, he wins it in overtime! This is supposed to be a one seed, two seed at its worst. Really disappointing to see the play of the Vegas Golden Knights, who I pulled for to win. Really disappointed, they need to wake up. And now... Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, hour number two, JT with you here in studio today as we continue on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Remy Martin, part of their umbrella of brands is the pot, uh, Botanist Gin. If you're looking for a cool, refreshing, new style gin, try the Botanist. You see their global ad campaigns all over. The Botanist Gin, proud partner of our show. Olden Polonies will join us a little bit later on this hour. We had Bryce Butler former Raider wide receiver, and Mark Anderson from the Review Journal. This hour, uh, the Warrior Parade is going on. So I've been able to watch a little bit of that on NBA television. Beautiful day. Clay Thompson showed up with his own boat to get there. Really cool what they're doing there. And they're getting used to this parade. So over the last couple of days, and I've been a part of it too, I've been talking about the legacy. I'm a legacy guy. That's why when we talk Derek Carr, legacy He's going to have all the stats to be a Hall of Famer, but he needs to win playoff games. That's part of the legacy. Steph Curry's legacy fascinates me because I need your help. I'm trying to figure out where his legacy is today compared to all the great players who have ever played this game. Now, I've put Steph Curry into my all-time top 10 list, and I think that's pretty impressive because he's got many years left. Steph's got at least four or five years playing. Remember, if Steph is smart, on the back end, this guy's getting like $47 million a year. And Joe Lacob, the owner of that team, and Peter Guber will pay him whatever they want the rest of his life. And he could become, five years from now, a guy who comes off the bench and just shoots threes. Think of the way this league is set up. He is the perfect guy to go into retirement on a long retirement, just standing in the corner shooting threes. That's it. He just comes in his last two years of his career. He's 39, 40 years old. What's Steph doing? Oh, he's going to play 12 minutes tonight. He's going to shoot threes. Who would have a problem with that? And that would give him longevity, which is a very important part of what we're talking about when it comes down to that. So we tweeted out at JT the Brick, is Steph Curry now becoming the greatest point guard of all time? He's a point guard. He can play the two, but he handles the ball. He handles the ball. The ball goes to him before the ball crosses half court if they're in a setup offense. And mostly they're not because they just run a fast break. Rebound comes, they go. And Steph has his hands on the ball. So you'd categorize him as a one or two. Jordan was more of a two who played a one because he handled the ball a lot. Curry's more of a one than I think Jordan was. Now the pure one is magic. Magic is the greatest point guard of all time. But let me give you some comparisons this hour on Steph Curry to Magic Johnson. Steph's got four rings. Magic's got five. Steph is in his 13th season, just wrapped it up. Magic only played 13 seasons. Remember that, the HIV diagnosis. The HIV diagnosis and then Magic having to save his life and then come back and play. Steph has played in eight playoffs. Magic has played in 13. Magic played 13 seasons and was in the playoffs all 13 years and won a championship his rookie year. Steph is an eight-time All-Star. Magic is 12. Magic has won three MVPs. Steph's got two. Magic has three finals MVPs. Steph has one. A first-team All-NBA, Magic 9, Steph 4. And total all-NBA teams, Steph Curry 8, Magic 10. 
So Steph's up there in a bunch of categories with Magic Johnson. I still believe Magic is historically a better player than Steph all time. But on my new top 10 list, okay, I have nine spots full. If we take a look at the list, I have Michael Jordan at number one. I have LeBron James at number two because I'm looking ahead to LeBron James. LeBron James is going to play another four or five years. He's going to lap every record that anybody ever had. So I have Jordan one, LeBron two, Kareem three, Wilt Chamberlain four, Magic Bird five, six, Duncan seven, Kobe eight, Bill Russell, Bill Russell 11 championships. I have him nine. And now at number 10, I have moved in Steph Curry. Now, before you say I'm nuts, in order to get Steph Curry in at number 10, I had to take out Oscar Robertson, the big O, which my dad thinks I'm nuts to do. He thinks I'm crazy. He might be right. I had to take out Carl Malone, the third all-time leading scorer. Carl Malone's one of the greatest players of all time. In order to put Steph Curry in my top 10, I also had to put Hakeem Olajuwon, not in the top 10. And then the big one that no one seems to be talking about other than me, Durant. Everybody says, well, Durant's the best player in the world. No, he's not. Steph Curry's better than Durant. Steph Curry's got four championships. He's the greatest shooter of all time. Kevin Durant is one of the more unique players of all time because he's a seven-footer who can hit a three. So I, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but after this fourth ring and the first finals MVP, he should have two. Is he getting closer to magic? And this might sound sacrilegious to everybody, but bear with me for a second. Bobby, who runs the show, might come over the board on me. But can you start to say that Steph Curry is better than Larry Bird? And that was Bobby laughing at me. Larry Bird's got three rings. He's got three rings. He's not the greatest shooter of all time. Steph Curry is. And, you know, you know I, I look at this. And Steph Curry's put LeBron out a number of times. So I have Larry Bird ahead of Steph, obviously. I have Magic ahead of Steph. It, it, follow me here. If Steph Curry wins his fifth ring, which I think is a lock, I don't know if it'll be next year, but he's going to win one more ring. So let's assume he gets to five. Is Steph better than Shaq and Kobe? Let that sink in. I got all the stats here in front of me if you want to debate it. So I can't. I, I don't have Shaq in my top ten anymore because I can't have five big men. I can't have five. I already have Wilt, Kareem, Bill Russell. If I leave in Shaq along with Duncan, I got five big guys in there. So Shaq's got four rings. Curry's got four. Shaq was very dominant, very much like Tiger Woods was dominant in his era, but he wasn't as good as Jack. Shaq was more dominant at times, but he wasn't more dominant than Wilt, Wilt and Kareem. And he, he didn't win 11 titles like Bill Russell. Uh, Jerry West I don't have in the top 10. I have Steph Curry now. Steph Curry better than Jerry West. Jerry West was brilliant. So when you put these lists together and you look at Steph Curry now, and a lot of Warrior fans I hope listening to the show, maybe not today because they're at the parade, but if you're a Raider fan, you're supposed to be a Warrior fan. A lot of you are. I'd say 80% of you. What do you think on that topic as we open it up this hour? We don't have an interview coming up for about 10 minutes. If you want to get through, 702-365-9200. Where do you have Steph right now on your all-time list? I'm really interested to know if you have him outside the top 15, if you have him inside the top 15, or you have it like me and have him inside the top 10. 
Now, I got the microphone in front of me, and at least I had the balls to say that I had to kick someone out. See, everybody forgets that. Whenever you put someone in on a list, you got to take someone out. So who are you going to remove from the list? I'm not going re- to re- remove Bird, Magic, Jordan, LeBron, Wilt, Duncan, Kobe. But I moved out Durant. I moved out... I moved out Jerry West, I moved out Oscar Robinson, and I moved out Hakeem Olajuwon, all for Steph Curry. Is that fair and reasonable, or am I out of my mind? 702-365-9200, and we have it up at Twitter, at JT the Brick. I think that was this big of a deal. What, what, the, what, the, what I'm buying into on this, everybody, is that he just tooled, tooled Kevin Durant. He basically said, hey, me and you are kind of even. You got more talent than me. You're seven-footer who can shoot threes. And a lot of people think you're better than me. No more. No more, Kevin. You're you're so stupid that you wanted to leave this franchise and go hook on with another franchise and leave me and win more rings that you deserve to be punished for this. So I'm actually punishing Kevin Durant on this front. I'm punishing him for being so stupid to leave the team and go play with Kyrie Irving. Now there's talk today that Kyrie Irving uh, might want out. Sham Sarania is talking about the fact that there could be an exit strategy or at least him thinking about it down the road. Now, would that be smart for Kyrie to get out? And would Kyrie want to go with LeBron or another team down the road? Who would be stupid enough to go after Kyrie Irving at this point in time? I think Brooklyn's got him right where they need him. They got him in a bad spot. And I think they're going to hold them to it. Also, James Harden. It looks like Daryl Morey and Philadelphia wants to have him sign a three-year extension. Nowhere near a max contract. But Sham Sarania uh, put this out courtesy of The Athletic six hours ago. Sources Kyrie Irving. Nets are at an impasse in conversation about his future in Brooklyn. Clearing the way for the seven-time All-Star to consider the open market. Lakers and Knicks expected to emerge as potential suitors. So if you look at this, I mean, he's a hell of a player, but he's a distraction. He didn't play because of his vaccination issue and all that. I wonder where he's going to end up. I wonder where he's going to end up at this time as Olden Polonis is checking in right now. So Olden, for the last time, he's going to come out here, I hope, for Summer League. He's kind enough to join us to put a bow on the NBA season. And Olden, thanks for calling in today. And how'd you see the Warriors win and define it to their legacy of their past championships with this group? Well, I, you know, I saw it. I saw it coming. I knew the Warriors would win because they were the better team. You know, the, the Boston Celtics were the younger team and the most energetic, you know, and new to this. But the Warriors have been there, done that. And, you know, the return of Clay, I thought, you know, brought prominence back to the Warriors, you know. Nothing against everybody else, but I do believe that Clay Thompson, you know, makes a big difference for that team. And the emergence of Andrew Wiggins, you know, was something that was really a pleasant surprise for the Warriors. And then, you know, what, can, what more can you say about Steph Curry? Steph Curry is, is legendary, you know, with that shooting. But it, it was more than the shooting. It's just the way he controlled the game. I thought the 43-point game was very indicative of that. It's like he just mm-hmm. took control and said, hey, I got you guys. And even when he had the bad, you know, the off night, which is his off night is a great game for other people. <laughs> so he had that off night, then Andrew Wiggins stepped up and carried him. So, you know, the beautiful part about all this to me 
and what shows about the legacy of the Warriors that Clay really never had a major breakout game, and yet they still managed to win in six. Olden Polonies joins us. I agree. Imagine if he had one of those breakout games. Olden, you talk about the legacy. Everybody you know, gets into that topic. It's low-hanging fruit, but I'm going to participate this time because I think Curry, now on my list, can get into top ten all time. And he's that type of player, and he's not done yet. And LeBron is a player who will never be outside the top ten. I don't think you can move Magic Bird, Kareem, obviously Michael Jordan. Now we start talking about top ten with Steph, and then you got to maybe take out Oscar Robertson. you got to take out Akeem, someone you played against and knew. It's hard. Do you, do you consider Steph a top ten player all time, or is he? it's too early for that? I consider Steph one of the greatest players to play this game. We're never going to have a consensus top 10. We're never going to agree on it. So that's why I always say it's all about who do you like, okay? If I ask you right now, who's your favorite top 10 players? And then you'll just give me yours, and I have to accept it. That's it. The problem is when everybody wants to force their top 10 on other people, and I will never do that because at the end of the day, we've had great players throughout this NBA. And so – what we need to do is to respect them for what they've done, appreciate them for what they've done, and leave it at that. You know, as much as I love Michael Jordan, I love Bob Cousy <laughs> because I know what he gave to the game. As much as I love Kareem and Shaquille, I love George Mikan <laughs> because I know what he gave to this game. There is no Kareem without Mikan. There is no Jordan without Baylor. There is no Baylor without you know, somebody before him. That's just how this thing works. And we need to appreciate these people. You know, I'm not, I don't knock the new players now. You know, I love what they're doing as well. You know, but we still got to give props where it's due. And so to do a top 10, the best way I can say it is what I've done for myself. We always talk about the Mount Rushmore's. Yes, I'm putting step on my Mount Rushmore right now with the four wins, four titles, and the three-pointers and everything else. But my Mount Rushmore has more than four people on it. (laughs) Yeah, you're only supposed to have four on a Mount Rushmore, but I get what you're saying. Olden Bolides joins us. Uh, Olden, what about the difference between Steph's legacy now and Durant? When Durant easily could have stayed with the Warriors, money was not an issue. Joe Lake of the ownership group loved him there, and pretty much it was his decision to leave, and looks like it's going to be a much tougher road for him to win than he had it with Steph with the Warriors. How do you see that with Durant? Well, before I get into that, I'll tell you that it wasn't really uh, Kevin Durant's decision to leave. It was the media, okay? He basically heard the talk, the chatter, and he's like, okay, I'm going to make a decision because I want to prove people wrong. I want to do this for me because the way they're telling me, oh, you know, I only won because I'm with the Warriors. And that's what it was. And he's going to have at some point in time, he's going to have to man up and admit that because mm-hmm. that's really what it was. He didn't want to be defined by the Warriors. And my thing was like, why not? All the greats do it. Why wouldn't you? You know, why wouldn't you want to be defined by greatness? That's a great team. You added to this team. Stick where you are, but that's neither here nor there. But his legacy is taking a hit because he went to Brooklyn and nothing's happened in Brooklyn. And so to me, I mean, not right now, um, Steph has moved ahead of Durant, in my personal opinion, because the only difference is 
Durant's two rings came with Steph on his team. And so that speaks volumes, you know, to Steph's legacy more than Kevin Durant's legacy. Holden Bologna says we wrap it up. I agree with that perfectly there. I think it is a legacy play for Durant. He's got a lot of work in front of him going forward. I heard a Darvin Ham on another interview. Rich Eisen did an interview with him, and I was really impressed by how hardcore he is. Now, you know him as a player, and now he's going to be a head coach, and he seems like he's no nonsense, and that Anthony Davis is going to have to be more accountable. I don't know what he's going to do with Russell Westbrook, other than telling him to stop shooting bad shots. Every other coach knew the problem with Russell Westbrook. He's got great energy, but he takes a lot of bad shots, and then he's got to get LeBron to buy in. What do you think about the future direction of the Lakers led by Darvin Ham and what he has to do to get the franchise back on track? Well, I'm never worried about Darvin Ham as far as um, being an energetic and hard-nosed kind of guy. He, he brings it, you know, in his coaching style just the way he did when he played. And so he's definitely saying all the right things, and he's going to definitely hold guys accountable. The, the difference and the only thing I'm saying with him is he's going to have to come up with a, a style of offense that's going to be suitable for his players. And the, but the problem that he's going to encounter is this. No matter what he runs, he's still going to have three ball-dominant guys, and that's a problem. No other team has that. Warriors have a free-flowing style. Milwaukee has, you know, Giannis, but it's, the ball still gets moved around. So Giannis isn't even a ball-dominant guy. The Lakers have three ball-dominant guys. They need the ball at least half the game. Mm-hmm. So if each one needs it half the game, there's only 100% to go around. So somebody's going to be left out. There's going to have to be some kind of sacrifices made or a different style of offense that has to be created that gets everybody involved, that gets Russell into his strength positions as opposed to weakness positions. And so to me, that's oh. the key. Got it. Olden, last one, this warrior phase of shooting threes and being predominantly a jump shooting team without an iconic big man. Is this a phase we're going through or trend or you played in the big man era. We talked about the big man I have on my top 10, Russell Kareem, uh, no doubt Wilt Chamberlain. You look at the all time great player Shaq, who you talk about often. Are we ever going to get back to it? Maybe four or five years from now, we'll, we'll see some teams that will post up a big man and run the offense through the big man or, our championship team's not going to do that anytime soon. They're going to have to. The, the, the Denver Nuggets have been doing it. Uh, Milwaukee mm-hmm. has that guy that does it, but sometimes he wants to take three-pointers. And so the problem is not the Warriors. The Warriors just create a style that fits them. But unfortunately, with the success of it, everybody thought they could recreate it. And that's not the case because, like I said, you don't have Step and Clay on your team. They do. And so that's what people need to understand. It's a one-off. The Warriors are a one-off, and they better be glad Durant got hurt and Clay got hurt, or else it would have been nine straight. <laughs> okay? Yep. So people need to understand that. They would have just been at, at eight straight. So they would have been in the finals every year. So to me, you got to let the Warriors be the Warriors, and everybody else needs to play their style. You cannot match up with these guys. And so that's the key. And so I think we're going to get back to inside basketball more dominantly played as opposed to what we've seen because they realize 
we can't beat the Warriors playing their style. They're just too good. Awesome. Oldham, will you be out here for Summer League? Will I catch you out here? Oh, yes, I will be out there. All right, so I'll reach out to you. Dinner on me. We'll get a good meal when you're out here. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, really thank appreciate you so you. much. I appreciate you, you. Thank you. Thanks, Holden. Appreciate that. Well, now taking Holden to dinner. He's a big guy. <laughs> that, that could cost a few bucks, but it'll be worth it. Maybe I'll take him to one steak over at Virgin Hotels or Barry's downtown at Circa. Love that. So if, if, I don't know if Holden eats meat. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he eats, but there's always a great restaurant here. He made a really good point. He's so good, Olden Polonese, to love having him on, that the Warriors now have this style of play that I would think historically wouldn't work long term. It's a, it's a style of shooting threes. And you're going to have guys, but when you have the greatest three-point shooter ever, Clutch and Steph, and then you have Clay, who's in the top four. He's a Mount Rushmore three-point shooter. That's what they're going to do. That, that, so they're not going to go and revert back. As he mentioned, he brought up a very interesting point on Denver has Nikola Jokic, and they can run the offense through him on the low block. Okay, when you look at DeAndre Ayton and Phoenix, and Phoenix flamed out, you can run the offense through him on the low block. In the era that I grew up in, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. The 90s were my favorite era. I love that bully basketball, the Knicks, rugby style, knock you on your ass. Uh, Bill Lambeer and the way that they played in the uh, late 80s and 90s, the bad boy Pistons. I, I like that type of basketball. It was ugly. It was ugly. It was physical. But I was used to it. And I like watching that. And we, we're just now living in an era, everybody, where all they do is shoot threes. And I mean all they do. So the people that are burnt out on that, and I've talked to people that are really upset about it. They don't like basketball. Why don't they like basketball? God, the people who don't like basketball are really vocal, and they don't like it mostly because of the politics of the players. They don't like the individual players who either ring chase or are politically triggered or say something that you disagree with with your politics. Can we all cut to the chase and admit that? The people who don't like LeBron James don't like LeBron James because of the way he tweets about politics, tweets about other issues outside this country, and they hate him. So they're not going to be a LeBron James fan anytime soon. And then you go around the league, Kyrie Irving. I don't like him a lot. I didn't agree with the stance on the vaccination and the fact that he put his team at risk and his team flamed out because of that. So I'm not going to like him. But if he comes to my Knicks, which I think he might, if he ends up coming to my Knicks, the Knicks are more important to me than Kyrie. So I'll get behind it, but I won't like it. And it's hard to root for certain teams and certain players. But the Warriors, who are having their parade as we speak, they're a likable team because they shoot threes. And it's like a video game. And what are kids growing up with today, everybody? Video games. Kids are growing up, the younger demographic, watching video games where they don't want to run a play. In Madden, they want to throw a bomb on every play. right? They don't want to run the ball. They want to throw a bomb. In NBA 2K, they want to come down and chuck up a three. That's all they do. And that's what the game looks like, and the Warriors are benefiting from that. The Warriors are benefiting from the style of play. And as Olden said, don't match up with them. Play your own brand of basketball, because if you're trying to match up with the Warriors, you're going to lose. You're going to absolutely lose because they're going to do it better than you. And they're young, and they've drafted well, and they got their good players locked up, and their second team of players are really good, and there doesn't seem to be any chemistry problems. You, know, you don't hear Draymond not liking Clay, Clay not liking Steph. You know, Jordan Poole's too big for his britches, and he doesn't get along with everybody. They all get along great. They're an excellent team when it comes to ownership, all the way down to coaches, to the video guys, to everybody who works on that team. 
there's no drama. There's no drama. Think of the NBA drama that we have with the Brooklyn Nets, the drama that we have with the Lakers. And when it comes to the Warriors, absolutely no drama at all. I'm pounding out the Twitter. When we come back, I'll read some of the results on Twitter at JT the Brick. What's the most important Raider game of the year? And you can find that right at JT the Brick, Raider Nation Radio. Interesting responses. Very interesting. I can't believe what Raider fans think is the most important game. We'll get to that when we come back on the flagship of the Silver and Black, Raider Nation Radio. Um, and that's, you know, I never forced anyone. I never assaulted anyone. So um, that's what, you know, I've, I've been saying it from the beginning. And I'm going to continue to do that and, and until all the facts come out on the legal side. I have to continue to just, you know, go with the process with my legal team and, and um, you know, the court of law. That's the Sean Watson, JT, back with you as we continue on. Mary Kay Cabot, kind enough to join us, one of the premier NFL insiders anywhere with Cleveland.com, the Browns beat writer. And Mary Kay, great to talk to you again. Let's just jump in and start right off on anything new that you're seeing here. I saw your tweet yesterday. Could the NFL suspend Deshaun Watson indefinitely until the civil suits are resolved? What can you add to this story? Great piece by you. Oh, thank you. You know, I, it's one option that's on the table, and it's part of the policy. You can either uh, suspend someone for a finite number of games or indefinitely. The other thing that they can do is banish him from the league uh, with an opportunity to apply for reinstatement. So there are a number of things that they can do. Nobody really knows for sure exactly where they're going to go with this. Uh, but I will say, in talking to uh, some league sources, uh, the union really is bracing itself uh, to fight against what they think the NFL will will try for is a like a year long suspension. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the NFLPA is is gearing up for for a fight for that, and their defense is going to be that um, you know that the owners, the recent owners that have gotten into some trouble or have been on the fringes of trouble have not been suspended and not, you know, not lost any money over this or not as much as, you know, would happen to Deshaun if he is suspended for the year. Yeah, and I respect that. That's what the union's supposed to do, protect the players and give them the best legal resource uh, to stay in the league and play. I just wonder, Mary Kay, as you're at the center covering this story, do you sense anything in regards to what the league is thinking from your sources within? Because with Roger Goodell dealing with the Gruden lawsuit and Daniel Snyder and testifying in front of the Congressional Committee, he's got a lot of fires that he has to put out, and if he gets this one wrong with Deshaun Watson and his light on the suspension the heat's going to come down from the nfl public and fans yes it will so they have a lot of things to consider they do have the court of public opinion to think about uh they they've got a lot of things that they have to keep in mind when they're doling out this punishment uh the thing to remember here of course is that uh this is different this is the first big case under under the personal conduct policy under the new policy whereby an independently uh, uh, assigned disciplinary officer, 
who is jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA, will be the one that determines this punishment. And then upon appeal, it gets into Roger Goodell's hands. And at that point, he can enhance it, minimize it, uh, whatever he sees fit. So, uh, so there is a new step this year that will be taken. And, um, you know, the first round of heat might go to Sue L. Robinson and not Roger Goodell. Mary Kay Cabot is our guest, Browns Insider. A fantastic follow. Follow her on Twitter at Mary K-A-Y-C-A-B-O-T. Mary Kay, I'm also fascinated with the civil side of this compared to the fact that he is not charged criminally in Houston on this and what you're learning about the legalese on this process and why these civil cases are taking this long. Rusty Harden is a big-time defense attorney, and he's able to close out these cases, move on from clients in the past. This is a different case. I understand this, but what fascinates you about the calendar and how slow this process is? Well, there are a lot of things that fascinate me about the calendar. First of of all, uh, the two sides have agreed not to try any cases during the season. So from August 1st to March 1st, no cases will go to trial. None of these 24 cases will go to trial, uh, and Deshaun Watson will be able to play some of the season if he isn't suspended for the whole season. Uh, So that's the first thing. Um, but then just in terms of how slowly the, the wheels are turning here, uh, I think part of it is because there are so many cases and they have had to take so many depositions. Deshaun Watson has had to go back and forth to Houston for depositions after, you know, go spending three days at OTAs and then fly down to Houston for a deposition or fly down to Houston and meet with the NFL investigators. So it's been a long process. And um, and it will be a lot longer if he decides not to settle the cases. And when we talked to him last week at mandatory minicamp, he was still pretty hell-bent mm-hmm. on not settling these cases. Yeah, I don't see how he could ever settle the cases. And from a female perspective, with the females who are listening to us, can you imagine if he'd end up settling and all the uh, female NFL fans, which there are millions upon millions weren't satisfied, upset with this, more so than the men would be who just were saying, hey, it happens, we're going to move forward, we're going to love the team. That's a big demographic in this giant sport there. There's so much to lose when it comes to national fans, not just Brown fans. Is that fair? Well, that, that's true, but the the one thing that I have noticed in talking to a lot of people wherever I go is that uh, when it comes to the demographics of male versus female, Mm -hmm. there are just as many males that are outraged about what's going on with Deshaun Watson as there are females. And, and that's not the whole population. I mean, the, uh, there are about, you know, I would say at least 40% of fans right now are in complete support of, of Deshaun Watson. And I, and I would say maybe around 60 that aren't because of what's going on. And I think that number has climbed from when he first got traded here in part because of the way that Tony Busby has, has handled the, the PR of the suits and the HBO and everything else that he's been releasing. Uh, he mm-hmm. has done a masterful job of picking opportune times to file suits and make sure that it's in the public eye and it hits right before he goes to, you know, an OTA practice or a mini camp practice. So, uh, you know, he's really kind of been winning in the court of public opinion, and it's very difficult for uh, Deshaun to defend himself right now. So, you know, I think he is 
hoping to be able to do that in the courtroom, uh, but we'll see if it gets to that point. Wrapping up with Mary Kay Cabot, who covers the Browns as good as anyone. Great NFL insider on a national level, too. So I'm a huge Baker Mayfield guy. We talked about this in the past. Heisman Trophy, rookie touchdown record. He had that for a short period of time. Led the franchise to the playoffs and played injured. Played injured when he didn't have to. And I love all that about him. I understand why the Browns moved on for a generational talent. I am fascinated and don't understand why a team won't pick up 10 or $12 million of the money owed to him and lock him down. Why is there so much? He's not $45 million. He's not $38 million. Why wouldn't Seattle, Houston, Carolina go, oh, my God, this guy's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. We're going to give him a fresh start here. We'll pay all of it or have the Browns split it with us and get him in here. What's the holdup? You know, it is kind of puzzling that nobody was willing to do that for, like you said, $12 million. I mean, maybe the Browns weren't willing, uh, you know, to pay as much as they are now. As time draws near, as camp draws near, uh, I think they will get more motivated uh, to, to do something like that. But it would require getting something in return. They are not just going to... Uh, pay a bunch of the freight for Baker Mayfield and not get a draft pick and a decent draft pick in return for that. So a lot of it, it of it is just negotiating and trying to figure out the best deal, an optimal deal for the Cleveland Browns. They're not going to give him away. They're not going to cut him, uh, and they're not going to sit there and pay thirteen or fourteen million dollars so he can go play for the Panthers, unless, like I said, unless they get a, a really nice draft pick in return. Mary Kay, last one. What about Jimmy Haslam and what's going through his mind as a businessman, as a relatively new owner in the league? If he gets this one completely wrong, if he loses his quarterback for a year or more, the Browns don't compete for the playoffs, the Baker Mayfield deal, and signing Deshaun to that guaranteed money as Baker Mayfield won't play for them again, are the fans going to bite back, or are the typical Brown fans saying, this is our owner, just like Washington's got Daniel Snyder, and the Spanoses are with the Chargers. We're going to have to live with this no matter what. How upset are the fans with ownership right now? Well, I think right now the fans are in limbo. They're just in wait-and-see mode. Mm-hmm. Because if they find out that Deshaun Watson is going to be playing you know, 12 games for them this season or 10 games or something like that, then I think hope will be restored in terms of the football aspect of it. I think we're always going to have uh, a lot of issues with, you know, the other side of it and how people will reconcile that and will they buy tickets and merchandise and all those kinds of things. But I think there will be enough fans on board uh, if Deshaun plays this season. And so I think they can salvage this whole thing uh, if he's able to play. If he's not able to play this season, then I think they can still feel like, okay, We'll pick it up next year, and we'll move forward. If it's any longer than that, then you're starting to get into a lot of trouble. Thanks, Mary Kay. Great to talk to you. Enjoy the summer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You got it. Mary Kay Cabot. That's a big interview. She's great job getting her on. Appreciate that. And she's the authority. She's the authority on Deshaun Watson and what's going on from the perspective inside Cleveland. And we wanted to talk to her, and she was available today. So, Imagine this, Raider fans. Raider fans, you have went through the toughest season last year. The death of Tina Tintor by Henry Ruggs in the car accident. A Damon Arnett brandishing a weapon. All the issues. John Gruden's emails. If you add up all that, there was a lot of distractions and a lot of chaos that happened off the field. Off the field 
which Mark Davis wasn't aware of when it happened in the beginning. You know, the emails hiring John Gruden, what what eventually came because of what happened with those emails. Henry Ruggs, who looked to have the best life in front of him. Everybody liked Henry. Everybody thought the world of Henry. From business owners in town, charitable, people that I know who did signings with him. A-class kid. Makes the worst decision of his life. Kills someone. That party, that story's over. That story's over. If you look at all of that combined... Raider fans went through a lot last year. We sat in the studio last year. Every Monday I came in here, I couldn't believe what was happening next. And it's quiet. I don't have a lot of Raiders content for you. That's good. Because that's the content in Cleveland. And we dealt with the content here last year. All of us hosts and all of you fans, how many weeks did we have to do Henry Ruggs? Seven, eight, nine weeks? We we talked about it all the time. And you don't want to deal with that. You just want to deal with football. You want to talk about the issues of the team. How is the team going to get better? What's going to happen here? Cleveland can't do that. Imagine living in Cleveland now. You haven't won since Jim Brown in 1965. You haven't won, and now you think you're good, and you got the best young quarterback available. Deshaun Watson's a hell of a player. Elite. I have him in the elite status. And that's not going to change because he hasn't got hit, hasn't got hurt. Even if he doesn't play another 10, 12 games or a year, he's a top-five quarterback. He is. Completion percentage, speed outside the pocket, can make every throw, and he's the highest-paid quarterback in the history of the sport. So he's elite, everybody. Sorry if you don't agree with that. But Cleveland fans are going to have to deal with this every day on the local news, on the night news, on the national radio shows, on SportsCenter. It never ends. When are they going to get a decision on this so they can go to the games? And I, I think if you look back on this, they made a big mistake. They should have negotiated with Baker Mayfield on a new contract and let Baker come back and be the quarterback. Is he is Baker perfect? No, but he had a better start to his career than Brett Favre. Brett Favre. First two years, look at Baker Mayfield's number and Brett Favre, who got traded from Atlanta to Green Bay. And Baker was off to a better start than him. They threw him to the curb. Why? Did he do anything wrong? He has progressive commercials with his wife standing in the stadium. A great husband. You know, he had some knucklehead moments in college, but nothing compared to what Deshaun Watson is accused of. They ran Baker Mayfield out of town. Ran him out of town. And look at some of the other quarterbacks in this league that have a job going. Geno Smith in Seattle, are you kidding me? He's terrible. Sam Darnold? I think Sam Darnold's a product of some bad teams. Played for the Jets, and now he's playing for Carolina. Uh, Look around at what Pittsburgh has. Mitchell Trubisky, and they drafted a quarterback. Baker Mayfield wouldn't have fit there. Cleveland wouldn't have traded him there in the division. But the team that's always made the most sense to me is Houston. Houston doesn't have a quarterback. Baker's from Texas, played at Oklahoma, won a Heisman, and Baker Mayfield would give Houston this really aggressive, cocky edge with a big chip on his shoulder in the same market, the same state as Jerry Jones. I think that'd be a great fit. Baker Mayfield as a Texan, it's a total rebuild. Total rebuild, so he'd have no pressure on him to win year one. And I think being healthy, he'd love to compete in the same state as the Dallas Cowboys and stick it to him. That's how I see it there. Uh, Wrapping it up, if you want to get through on all the topics that we had today, there's enough to talk about. If you're a Warrior fan and the parade, you stop by the parade, you're in the parade, you're listening to us, got to hear what you have to say about that, 702 365-9200. Oh, and my son's in studio. He reminds me, Dad, get to the question. When we come back at JT the Brick, what's the most important Raider game of the year? We have your answer coming up next. Next.
pitch. Sawinski, a fly ball to right field. There's no way. This is not going out of here. It's gone. <laughs> You're kidding me. Jack Sawinski is the hero on Father's Day. Tim Sawinski, your kid, just hit his third home run and has walked it off and raises the Jolly Roger and leaps onto home plate and is mobbed by his teammates in an unforgettable Father's Day in Pittsburgh. Absolutely unbelievable. Pirates Radio, three home run game. Zwinski yesterday, that's a big deal. JT back with you. My Yankees finally lost. Well, Bobby, the Yankees finally lost. I mean, you as a Red Sox fan, you got to be sitting there going, you're playing pretty well, and you're still losing games on the Yankees. If the Yankees would have swept Toronto in Toronto after doing them in New York and Tampa Bay, I mean, this thing is getting ugly, and the Yankees are rolling. And they had an 8-3 to lead, and they lost it. That was a game that – that's the only game this year that they had a lead like that and oh, lost. I so, I mean, are you looking at it as a Red Sox fan one day at a time here? What are you thinking? You know, i got to tell you. I think these guys are peaking too early. Okay. Maybe just me, but I mean, they're up to like, what, 45 and 15 kind of they record got 49 at 49 wins. 49 wins already for the Yankees. I don't know if they can sustain that kind of a pace all the way through the summer. I mean, they're obviously a playoff team. They got some great hitters. Mm-hmm. The pitching has really come along. This kid, Michael Kim, you got, he's. Yeah, they got, the Yankees pitching has been solid. But I got to tell you, man, I don't think they can maintain. What, are they going to win 120 games this year? No, I don't think. And remember, the Yankees, when they go into a swoon, they go into it hard. But uh, it, they got a big lead in that division. I'm just going to keep that cranky Yankee intro just in okay, case. Please leave it there because cranky Yankee has not showed up. All right, so we tweeted this out to start the show. What's the most important Raiders game? of 2022 and we appreciate everybody who voted on this you can still vote on it at jt the brick on twitter they retweeted it here at raider nation radio so 34 percent of you guys who tweeted in said at kansas city eight percent said at the world champion rams week 14 seven percent said 49ers last regular season game and a whopping 51% Chargers week one. I am shocked by that. I am. I'm shocked by that. A couple of the responses here that came in and said, this one came in from at Johnny Rotten, last game of the year might be the one, but beating the Niners is something us Cali folk need. Uh, Stacy Boy 68 says, JT, we got to get into Kansas City and win. The rest are just good wins. Raider Julian, 81, says, Week one, without a doubt, we have to start hot. And uh, so if, if I'm looking at this, come on. The most important game of the year is at the Rams. Rams are the world champs. The best team in football. They won the Super Bowl. Uh, but you don't think that. You think it's the Chargers week one. Uh, Thomas uh, texted in here, and he had something interesting to say. He said, JT, most important game, I really feel, is game one. The schedule is so difficult out of the gate, we really need to start the year on a positive note. We must go into L.A. and make a statement that we are taking the division back. Yeah, a pretty strong point right there. To go in there and to try to win game one, what a momentum builder that would be. And I mentioned my son's in studio here. He's going to be interning and doing some stuff with me a little bit longer this summer. And we were talking about the Arizona game because I think the Raiders can win week one in L.A. If they don't, and they're 0-1, and that would be a road loss in the division, 
They have to come home for the home opener and beat Arizona. And since Allegiant Stadium opened, the Raiders beat Drew Brees in New Orleans to open the stadium and Lamar Jackson last year on Monday night. So they've won their home openers. And then they get Kyler Murray coming in without Chandler Jones and a couple of the pieces that they missed. We all know that the Raiders got better. Arizona did not get better. Arizona has not gotten better this offseason. But they have good players. They have very good players, and they have a quarterback that can carry a team in one big game. And Kyler Murray can come into Allegiant Stadium, throw for 340 yards, three touchdowns, and run for one. I watched Tom Brady and old Tom Brady combine for five touchdowns. I was one of ten guys in the building for that. He threw four and ran for one. Old man Tom Brady did that. So that's going to be a huge game because the Raiders open up. And the schedule to me is just fascinating because it's so backloaded on the back end, which surprised me. The first, the first national game that we have at home is the Patriot game at the end of the year. Are you kidding me? So if you looked at just the quarterbacks that the Raiders play, and the Raiders got a damn good quarterback in Derek Carr. They open up at Justin Herbert, then at home against Kyler Murray, then on the road at Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry, then home to Russell Wilson, then at Patrick Mahomes before the bye week. Wow. Then coming off the bye week, Texans at Jameis Winston, at the Jaguars, Colts coming in with Matt Ryan. These are all winnable games. But those first couple of games are going to be tough. All right, thanks to our guests today. Bobby put this show together nicely. Olden Polonies, Mark Anderson, Bryce Butler. Fun to talk to him. And Mary Kay Cabot. Best I can do, everybody, because Bobby lined it up. And we try to give you the best interviews and some good content here. Even in the summer months when it's quiet in the Raider Nation. Do me a favor, if everybody can go to our Twitter feed, at JT the Brick, uh, give it a follow and see what you think about a couple of the questions we have up there today. New on TikTok, some new backyard bricks coming in on TikTok. Can't believe I got a TikTok account now, man. The Sports Tour, at the Sports Tour, my son's telling me. So that's what we'll do. I'm going to take his lead and clean up my social media.